0: Gang, we finally made it. The last episode of 2023. This also happens to be the last episode of this season of Good People Cool Things. And personally, I think this was a terrific series of episodes. As always, thank you for listening and being curious along with me as I meet new folks and have a grand old time diving into the cool things that they're doing. There's a lot more to come in 2024. This isn't like a we're going on hiatus for 55 years and who knows if we'll come back. I'll be back with the new season on February 7th. But for now, let's wrap up this season in style. Jennifer Chen is a writer and the author of Artifacts of an X, a a book that, as we'll learn in the episode, is 14 years in the making. Jennifer is also the creator of Joyride, a lovely newsletter that highlights some of the brighter spots in life. I'm subscribed to it. I highly recommend that you check it out as well, because with the way 2023 went for all of us, bright spots and good vibes, that's something we could all use a little more of. We're talking about Jennifer's writing journey and how she helps herself focus, what surprised her about her book launch day, and her favorite Ted Lasso episodes. I'm Joey Held. This is Good People Cool Things, and here's my conversation with Jennifer Chen. To start, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch and also the type of elevator that we're riding on?
1: Sure, I'm Jennifer Chen, and I my elevator pitch is my young adult novel that just came out last month called Artifacts of an X. It's about a teenage girl who is an aspiring art curator, moves from New York to LA. Her boyfriend breaks up with her by mail and sends back a bunch of her things. And from that becomes inspiration for a new art exhibit that she puts on where she meets somebody new who she happens to like.
0: I love it. And we're going to dive into that, but I always like to ask this of writers. Do you remember the first thing that you wrote?
1: My second grade teacher, Mrs. Jeanette, Um, I was an extremely shy kid. I'm sure other writers feel this way, but I did not like to speak in class. So I wrote everything down. And she one time passed me a note and said, I like your stories, keep writing. And I honestly can't tell you what the story was, but I just, instead of (laughs) speaking in class, I would just be writing the whole time. So um, that was my first sort of encouragement to keep. She was like, I like your stories. so. that that memory stuck with me.
0: (laughs) That's very nice. I like when teachers are encouraging like that. Yeah. I feel like many of my English teachers in particular seemed more of like the tough love approach, Mm. which I guess works for some people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it does for writing.
0: (laughs) Last month, like you said, Artifacts of Max Max was launched. Have you gotten a chance to reflects like, hey, I just, you know, a book is out into the world now.
1: You know, it's interesting. Around the time that my book came out, a lot of people, a lot of authors on Instagram were posting sort of their timeline of publishing their book. And so I did it. And I, so I went back and like looked at old emails and rejection letters and I realized it's been 14 years of me trying to sell a book and I've, I've had many manuscripts not make it this far. So it felt really triumphant that my book came out on November 14th and it was 14 years of trying. So I'm like, you know, I think that, 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 um, 14 years paid off finally. So, um, so yeah, that, that's what it, it feels like I've worked really hard to get here. And at the same time, I'm like really excited for the next, um, like ideas and things that I'm working on to know that like I have a two book deal, so I'm like I actually get paid to write the next book, which has never happened in my career. I've always been writing um, full manuscripts on um, for submission, so in consideration. So yeah, that's what it's been like.
0: <laughs> Do you feel like there's more pressure on on a second book since it's like oh I've already been paid for it, or is it just kind of like no, like I've earned this and yeah. it's going to be great.
1: I think what's felt really, it hasn't felt like pressure. It's funny. I know other authors who have a two book deal and they're always like, I don't know. And I feel like because I'm a journalist, I've built in the time to write the second book. So that didn't feel scary. It was more of the like, do I know how to do this? Like I'm, I'm working on revisions right now. And I was like, is this book any good? And then I started reading it. I'm like, Oh, it's not that bad. Like, I think, (laughs) I I don't know if you approach this, but every project I'm always like, am I a good writer? Oh, okay. I guess I'm not like, I, I have to remember that I like did something that was good because I think each time I'm like, I don't know how to write a book or like, I don't know how to write an article or an essay. And I'm like, but you do, you just do it. I mean, it's there. So, um, but for the second book, I'll have to say, like I had, um, I learned a lot from the first one in terms of just things that I was like, oh, I hadn't considered that or just, you know, just how different it is once you actually go through the publishing process.
0: For one, yes, I go through similar phases of like, am I a good writer? Is this <laughs> is this quality? Oh, I, I'm happy to hear you say that. Uh, and I think it's a, a good refresher too of like, I'll read an old article every once in a while. Usually if I'm like, Pitching somewhere else, and I need to do a writing sample or something, sometimes I'll like go down a rabbit hole, and I was like, "No, that was a good story. yeah, like, that had good, good storytelling, like good journalistic uh you know integrity to it and everything like I'm glad so uh, it's yeah. a good reminder read, read yeah. your own stuff. I think can be a a nice uh, a nice boost for that. And yeah. I think, like you said, you're you're learning from that first book. Mm-hmm. I think I'm sure you've gotten some shocked reactions when you've said that it's taken. Fourteen years. This is a fourteen-year yeah. journey. Uh, I know I'll see probably like once a week. I'll see some sort of ad on social media that's like write a book in a day and like publish <laughs> it next week. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if it's always that simple. Yes, I think
1: too. I mean, I went the traditional route, so it's I. I think that path is a lot. Lo- it was a lot longer for me. I hope it's not for many other people. But I think too that I just. I was a younger writer and I, I approached revision really differently when I was younger. It was sort of like whack-a-mole. I felt like I was like, how much can I knock out? And this time around, um, with this particular book, I wrote it in three months and I revised it probably in two months. It, I was really, I learned a lot from my previous books of how not to do things <laughs> and how not to, um, how to write without getting caught in the nitty gritty details. And so um, I feel like this process taught me how to be a better writer and better at revising and really um, not being so precious about losing entire sections and chapters and really thinking about the reader and not just what I think sounds really good.
0: (laughs) So can I ask, because I I think this is a, a common, issue, I think, with writers is getting caught in the nitty gritty or like you're writing, you spot a typo or something, and then you're like, oh, I've got to fix that immediately. Like, let me go back into it. So how did you, how did you overcome that?
1: You know, I, I have two different method. Well, not two different methods. Two things that I do is one, I took a revising your novel class that was very, very helpful. And she recommended the, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember. Holly Lyle. She recommended each pass is a different thing. She's like, don't try to tackle proofreading and fixing this main character's dialogue and then fixing plot all at the same time. So I'll do a pass just on characters and I'll do a pass just on plot. Whatever it needs to be fixed. And I usually do, um, I don't know if you can, you can't. people who are on a podcast can't see this, but I have post-its. I have a whole post-it system of how I revise now. And that came out of spending three years revising a manuscript that went nowhere. So I feel like this process um, I'm really deliberate about. And then when I get to the stage where I'm like, okay, I have enough that I want to read the whole thing um, as one whole book. I um, save it as a PDF and I read it on my e-reader and I, that way I don't touch it. (laughs) And I take, um, I have a Kobo that has like a, a stylus pen and I take notes on it there. If I see a typo, I'll, but I don't, go into the actual document. And I think that really helps me read the book as a reader. I started doing that because I, I can't remember if it was a friend recommended it, or if an, I heard an author say it, but just reading my book as a reader and like picking up where it lags or where I'm confused, or I said this word 40 times in this chapter, or, you know, things like that. Whereas I think if you're actually in it, you're like, Oh, I'm gonna fix this and I'm gonna fix that. So that's like sort of my final stage. And it's really helped me um fix a lot of stuff that I'm catching that um I'm like, oh, I don't think I would have caught that if I was just looking in an actual document and playing around with it.
0: Yeah, it is kind of amazing like what you can you can catch. And I'd I'd even echo that of like an editor too, mm-hmm. of like what they see that you just because they're viewing it from a different perspective that yeah. it's like. Oh, I did say hogwash 14 times, even though I never actually really say that in life. <laughs> but apparently I want all my characters to say
1: Yes, exactly. I've developed my own systems that work for me. And I think that was just years of doing it the exact, like, backwards way of trying to revise and trying to revise based on, you know, listening to everyone's notes, <laughs> which is like... <laughs> just turns it to a mishmash versus like taking everyone's notes and filtering them through what I think I I want for the book and then ac- actually implementing it so yeah
0: well let's talk about launch day because yeah because this is like I assume I never had a sweet 16 but I assume launch day is very similar to that in terms of like the good vibes mm-hmm. uh, although I guess maybe maybe sweet 16s sometimes the the ch- child is very disappointed by <laughs> by what's happening. So maybe that's a poor example. But but it's a it's a big day. It's a momentous yeah. occasion. And yours looked super cool. Like it looked like a great time. You had a big wall of of books that you were kind of posing yeah. by and everything. But what was that what was that like and what, did anything surprise you about launch day?
1: Oh, those are great questions. I think so my book came out on a Tuesday my book launch was on a Sunday afternoon. So on that Tuesday, um, I took the day off and was like, I just want to celebrate this and went out to lunch and with my husband, my friends sent flowers. Um, my publishing team reached out and like sent congrats and um, I just spent the day just celebrating because I was like, you know, I've worked really hard for this, and then I capped it by um, my family and I went to a Barnes and Noble and looked for my book on the bookshelf, and I um, recorded it for TikTok because I was like, I want to remember this moment because it's this is like my first first time seeing it in a in a big retail store, so um, that was really special, and I recommend any anybody do that because I think it's just the reaction. Cause I look at it now and I'm like, I was that excited because little kid me was like always at the bookstore and always going through all the books to be able to see mine on the bookshelf um, was amazing. And then my actual launch event was at Annabelle's book club in studio city. And they opened about a year ago. It's a beautiful, beautiful. Um, if you have a chance to go to, it's this beautiful young adult focused bookstore um started by a sixteen year old who's now seventeen, Annabelle Chang and it's the coolest bookstore I mean, I wish i'd it's like pretty and pink and this this sort of has a really cute reading nook, but I think what was really special about it was that um, I knew that being there, I would see my friends and I would see family and I'd have this beautiful space to be in. And I really liked having Annabelle's because I think my fear was that no one was going to show up. And so I'm like, it's not a huge bookstore, but it's, it feels, it feels really nice. And I've been in there for other events. So um, I also was doing it with a, a friend of mine, Edward Underhill who's also a young adult author and he moderated the conversation. And I just knew because we were friends that it would be fun because he would be make it fun too and I wouldn't be up there alone trying to like you know navigate this on my own so that helped a lot um and it was the the most surprising thing that happened was that there was one person on my signing line I didn't know two people I didn't actually know for real life. <laughs> so I was like, oh, two people I didn't know bought my book so that's great
0: <laughs> that's amazing yeah that's and and a great <laughs> reminder too like going back to you seeing the book at Barnes and Noble of like, I think when you're in something like that, like the, it can be so easy to just forget to like document it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And especially now with like the rise of book talk and bookstagram and all that good stuff. Like there's, there's so many things that people want to see and that are, are good to share and like just cool to, to have, even if you don't share it, like just to look back on it and be like, yeah, like, like you saw how excited you were in that moment. And I think that's, it's good that you did all that. And it's a yeah. good reminder too, like as we're going into it, it's like, wait a minute, like, yes, I'm doing a million things at once, but like, I'm going to want to reflect on this later and, and yeah, have things to share. So that's great. Yeah.
1: Um, and I purposely brought my kids. I have twins who are seven and I waited till they were out of school and we went together. Cause I, I, they know how long I've been working on this. So, and they've been with me since each step of the way. So I wanted them to see, um, the final process and we were all like standing in the aisle like Yay! <laughs> it was it was really sweet. It was sweet to have that moment together.
0: Yeah, that's very wonderful. And perhaps they're a little too young to consult on young adult uh vernacular and topics and things like that. But yeah. how, did you have a process for that cuz I I imagine with a young adult book that you want any kind of dialogue in there to, you know to ring true. I know with um with like kelvin and hobbs sometimes kelvin talks like a 45 a year old man or something. <laughs> and, and in that case i think it works but i think yeah. a lot of times it, it often doesn't so how how did you you know did you have a process or was it just like you've you've lived enough life that you were able to, to write and ring true
1: you know it's interesting i had i i read a lot of young adults so that helps and um I watch a lot of teen shows. That also helps. But I also didn't put vin- sl- a lot of slang in there um, to date it. But um, And the other thing I would say, too, is that I volunteer for Write Girl, a teen writing organization. And that's helped me to just hear how teens write and read and what they like are interested in and want to talk about. And so that's also helped me as a writer when I was revising. Um, for instance. So my, my main character is a YouTuber book, like paper planner, Instagram influencer. And so I thought the numbers that I gave her for views was like totally great. And then I, when I was rereading it, I realized I'm like, these aren't impressive numbers nowadays. Like numbers have to be different for it to reflect what that something's quote unquote popular on Instagram or on YouTube. So stuff like that just kind of, you know, Tuning in and listening and um, reading other young adult books that everyone's raving about. So that helped.
0: And I think a good, good job uh, avoiding too much slang. Yeah. Um, as much as I enjoy like a good, you know, 1920s <laughs> slang now and then, it's just, I, you could tell it's like that's definitely from a certain era. And, I maybe this is just because I don't understand a lot of modern day slang, but like, that's not going to age as well, like <laughs> mid is going to be like whatever <laughs> now you've also got a newsletter that I am subscribed to, and I always like seeing it in my inbox of Joyride. So why did you start this newsletter, and how have you grown it?
1: Um I started it in the pandemic um in, I think my first newsletter was August 2020, um, I was reporting on a lot of anti-Asian violence and talking about it and reading about it. And it was starting to get to me and um, to the point where I was like, I just want to remember that there are good things going on. And August 2020, I mean, June 2020 in America was really a big moment with George Floyd and what was happening with race relations. And I just felt sort of I needed to remember that there was good in the world, that there was good people, that good things were happening. And so I, I called it joy ride because I wanted to collect moments of joy, whether it's like an article I read, a movie I saw, a book. Um, and the other thing is some like, there's a part of it. That's a pep talk I give at the beginning. And that's something I do with my friends when they're going through stuff. And so I was like, Oh, maybe I'll do this for everybody else too. Cause it's it's kind of a nice thing to feel like you know encouraging other other people to get through whatever I was going through. Um, and how did I grow it? You know, it's not soup. I have about two hundred and six subscribers, so it's not like I'm making. I I don't charge for my newsletter, and I don't have like a thousand subscribers. But um, I think just being consistent with it and always like people whenever they write back that they you know that's really helped I keep that in mind and kind of keep those things and then I I, when I was getting closer to launch book launch I was publicizing it more on my Instagram and stuff and just kind of pulling people's quotes and saying hey like this person really like loved it because it gave them like a they knew that they were going to find something fun in here um, but yeah I, it's funny because I know a lot of other people make money on Substack or have like 100,000 subscribers. And I just, to me, it's more like cultivating a small audience. It's funny, because the, the reason I'm sharing this is that there's a book marketing person I follow on TikTok. And she said something that was really important to me. And she's like, you might think only having 200 subscribers is not a lot. But that's actually if you were in a room with 200 people, it would be a lot. So just think that you're having an intimate conversation with 200 people every month. And I'm like, yeah, actually, that's a really helpful way to reframe it. Because otherwise, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to have like a 1000 subscribers, but I I don't, I don't know, it's just it hasn't been the focus. It's been more like organically growing it.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like your audience is actually engaged and, yeah. and listening to things as opposed to I mean, I can I can speak from the other side of that where I a newsletter that I have, I was going to say hat. I still have it. But (laughs) it's on um, the lighter side of basketball. And I started it mostly as a creative outlet and, you know, have occasionally sold sponsorships to it and got talked into trying a promotion where it was basically like, you know, we'd promote it to readers who are interested mm-hmm. and they'd, you know, they'd sign up. And then what I learned is what it actually was, was it was people who were like signing up to win a gift card or something that mm. was like unrelated. And then they're like, by giving your email address, you're also signing up for this email. And then just the amount of people who like wouldn't open an email yeah. had, had to unsubscribe and would like it as spam. And I was like, I am sorry. I did not realize this yeah. is how it was going to be used. Uh, and and since you know, kind of purging those people, like I've found more engaged readers and yeah, and everything. And I think that's a that's a wonderful reminder of what what that that book marketer said. Of like, you know, you always see people like, oh, I've gotten a million subscribers or like tens of thousands of subscribers. Like you see these stories, but it's like, are all of those people even real real people? Like I think. You know Twitter, I'm sorry, X will use like <laughs> we've got this many users, and it's like how many of those are bots yeah or are, are even like real real things, and I think like it it's so easy to look at these enormous numbers, but then i mean i'm I'm thrilled even if I had like five people, I yeah like, that's want to hear what I have to say, which is like wild to think, yeah, about.
1: exactly, it's not quantity, which sometimes it can really feel with social media and newsletters and all that stuff. It's just sometimes it feels like how much quantity there is.
0: Now we might take a little bit of a left turn here, but a question I always like to ask is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And you you kind of touched on at least one of these, but what organizations do you love to support?
1: Yeah, I love talking about that because I feel like, you know, there's so many great organizations that, you know, are so worthy. Um, one of them being Right Girl, which is what I've been a part of for the past year. Um, they do writing workshops once a month with teens. Um, and we, we last month we did poetry. We're doing speculative and fantasy fiction in January. And what I love about it is that they, I just see the transformation of teens who may be scared to even speak their words aloud, and then go into writing entire poems or having actors read their scene that they wrote for a screenplay. And I love that. I love that transformation. Um, another organization I really love, I support the girls, which is a nonprofit in I think Maryland um, where they take in supplies for menstrual products and, um, bras, things to give to homeless shelters and make sure that people um, have access to those materials. So I've actually like, you know, when in my own neighborhood um, asked other women or anybody who, who uses a bra, like if you don't, if you have gently used ones, I would, I mailed a box to them and they redistribute them. And I think the work is just, it's, it came so important during the pandemic too. And so I feel like, Nobody talks about it because it's not a quote unquote sexy topic to talk about. But at the same time, I'm like, it it happens to everybody who identifies as a woman or is biologically a woman and it happens once a month. So we need, you know, <laughs> we need, some people can't afford like the millions of supplies that it, that it costs. So um, those are two organizations I really love to support and donate to and I like to, in my newsletter, always include an organization that I'm interested in or who's doing a book drive or anything like that. Because I think there's so many great causes out there. And um, I like being able to to share that with other people. And it's been lovely to kind of take all those ideas and put them in my newsletter too.
0: All right, Jennifer, you're almost off the hook. here. (laughs) We always like to wrap up with a top three. And for you, perhaps one of the more inspirational shows That has ever been created. Your top three Ted Lasso episodes.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, I really, really love the show very, very much. I think I also, I think it it came out during the pandemic, right? When, and I feel like it was one of those shows where I'm like, oh, something that's I just fell in love with immediately. I did not think that I would like it because it seemed sort of like who cares about UK football, (laughs) but um, I fell in love with it. So my top three. Episodes, I wrote down the titles because I was going back and looking at um, the different seasons. There are two of them over season one, which is Make Rebecca Great Again. It's the episode where Nate um, has to give a speech to all the players um, and he kind of rags on them, but they end up respecting him out of it. And then later they go to a karaoke bar to celebrate when they win. And Rebecca, who at this point you've seen is being really stern, does um, let it go from frozen as her karaoke song and Roy Kent is singing along. And then also in the middle of that, like Ted's having a panic attack. And I thought what, what I love about that episode in particular is that you get to see these moments of people that you've up until this point thought of as like Roy's really stern and mean, but she's like mouthing the words to let it go. And Rebecca, who's been sort of a hard ass this whole up until now is like singing this cartoon song. And Ted, who is so happy and joyful all the time, is having this really big emotional breakdown. And I just, I thought that at that moment, I was like, I love the show. And I love that they're taking me somewhere I did not expect to see. Um, My second episode I loved was Diamond Dogs, which is So there's a bunch of stuff that happens, but the thing that I particularly love is Ted and Rebecca go to a bar to play darts against Rebecca's husband. They don't intend to go to the bar there for that, but her ex-husband's there and they end up playing darts and... Her ex-husband's really cocky and mean and just thinks he's going to win. And Ted has this whole speech about being underrated and being the underdog and that, you know, if you had asked any questions, you would know, ask me if I've ever played darts before. He has this whole speech. And what I love about it is that it's one of those moments where you're like, he's so he doesn't you don't think that he's actually going to be good at darts but he kind of turns it on him and then it's this moment where I'm like he is the underdog but he's actually trying really hard and it just it feels like a very triumphant moment and I really loved that scene Um, and then the last one is actually from season three um, called No Weddings and a Funeral and it's when Gosh, it's like Rebecca's mom or dad passes away. I think it's the dad passes away, and they she goes to the funeral, and she's trying to come up with this like amazing eulogy, and she can't. She just can't, and she ends up um, singing "Never Gonna Give You Up" acapella, and it's it's just one of those moments where I'm like, it's really there's a it it makes you laugh, but it also is really touching, and I like when um, shows can have you feel like so many different things at a, at a time when you're like this is a funeral like we should all be sad but it was really funny and sweet and um i just think that the show is so well written and the actors are fantastic in it and i've literally rewatched some of these episodes multiple times and i still really enjoy them so that's that's my top 3 <laughs>
0: magical well we were talking beforehand how i still need to watch most of season two and all of season three so i'm looking forward to that and yes i love a good uh gamut of emotions in a show this is my main pitch for bojack horseman i was like if you want to feel all the feelings (laughs) in a given episode you will
1: (laughs) well thank you for asking me that that was fun
0: absolutely and i hope you uh get to enjoy another episode tonight After we're done recording. But before all of that happens, if people want to pick up a copy of Artifacts of an X or learn more about you, where can Mm -hmm. I go?
1: Um, My website's jchenwriter.com. I'm also the same username on X, Instagram and TikTok at jchenwriter. And then the book is available at any bookstore. So Target, Barnes & Noble, um, your local indie, I highly recommend and support them this holiday season. (laughs)
0: Yes, love a good indie yes. support. Well, Jennifer, this was so much fun. Thank you yes. so much. Thank you. Of course, we got to end with a corny joke. As we always do, I actually just started reading a book about mazes, but I keep getting lost in it. Right after today, people.
1: <laughs> I'll share that with my kids. They do love jokes like that. So I'm yes. going to share it later. <laughs> the main
0: goal of this podcast is to just share corny jokes with the world. <laughs>